The Help Show is a podcast dedicated to connecting individuals to mental health resources in the community. The Help Show is more than a podcast. It is a movement focused on change. Our objectives are to change the perception and stigma associated with mental health, encourage those with mental health disease to get help, foster access to mental health resources, and remove barriers to mental health resources, including those encountered in undeserved communities. We remain committed to supporting the mental health needs of the community during the COVID-19 pandemic. the world has changed dramatically in a short period of time the help show is here to help and navigate through the changes and address your mental health needs seek help when needed if distress impacts your daily life for several days or weeks talk to a clergy member counselor or doctor or contact s-a-m-h-s-a helpline at 1-800-985-5990 The crisis worker will work to ensure that you feel safe and help identify options and information about mental health services in your area. Your call is confidential and free. This podcast is sponsored by Good Coworking. Good Coworking is the first solar-powered co-working community in the world focused on cultivating profitable businesses that do right by the people plus the planet, all while keeping you safe in a beautiful plant-filled wellness center space. Get an address for your business, which comes with two daytime co-working days per month to get your meetings done, all for the quarterly cost of $150. Good Work have many membership options, from frequent flyer to office rental, So let good co-working help you find just the right space to help you balance your life and work. Located in Dallas, Texas, just south of Deep Ellum. Check out goodcoworking.co and tell them the Help Show sent you. Check out part two of episode 102, Major Problems, Minor Recognition, Minorities, and Mental Health in Sports. As Anzar explains struggles the coaches have with players on and off the court, also, the importance of training players mentally to succeed after the game of basketball. I want to talk about um, the religious discrimination and what you see in the arena of, of sports. And how it's not really often, because, you know, you, you have, you know, you have um, Christian and you have those that are not Christian and you have those that are Muslim. Do you see a difference in how some athletes are treated? because the the god or the person they choose to serve really curious about that well i gotta say um can you hear me Uh i can hear you okay well i gotta say i was actually proud like right now is ramadan for muslims and i'm muslim and and what that means is you know for 30 days we don't eat while the sun's up so from basically five something in the morning till 745 or 744 or whatever the time is we don't eat so the university our our university is a is a baptist university so what they do they set up uh special meals for the muslim kids to go by and pick up the meals at um and they know what time that they break fast and they go pick them up and they do all of those things for them so and i didn't know that they were doing that you know what I mean? And I am extremely proud of, of our university and how, you know, they care. And, and that's my HBCU shout out. I think, I think being at HBCU is a reason why that they care so much, you know what I mean? About the person, not just the, it's not a number. You're not an athlete. You're not, you're an actual person. You know what I mean? So, you know, seeing those type of discriminations, I would have to say, I don't, 
I have never seen here. Now I, I've I've heard about things that took place uh, years ago, and and you know how a, a head coach would would look at a young man who converted to Islam and 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 treat him treat him differently. Actually, um, a really good friend of mine he played at the University of Washington, and he was. Um, he became Muslim while he was there and they actually kicked him off the team because they, you know, they, they didn't like the, they didn't like the things that he were doing. And I think it's because they just didn't understand it. They look at, Oh, he's Muslim. He has to be this radicalized person. And, and that's not the case at all. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, but that was years ago. So, you know, I, I, I hope and believe that things have changed. I have a question. There's something in the background. Is it, it's not Dr. Rogers. It's not. Is there something going on here? Oh, something? hold on. That's why I had these on. Hold on. Now, now we can't hear you. All right, I got it. I'm trying to connect my earphones. Okay, go ahead. Okay, because you know, that's a part of being having inequality and inequity not being treated fair because of your religion. And mm -hmm. I and truly I wanted people to understand there's all type of inequalities and equities in, in the world yep. of sports, you know? And, and I think that has a lot to, to do with how someone is feeling mentally. And Dr. Rogers, you can say yay or nay, but when someone is isolated because of the way of, because they have a certain religion or a certain God they're, they're praying upon, they're just treated differently, which keeps a person isolated. But I'm thinking you, you have a team, like it's just like family, supposedly, you know, does it make it difficult for an athlete? And that's the question I really was interested in. You, 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 you spoke about it a little bit, Dr. Rogers, do you have any questions about that or? We can, or can we just move on to the um, impacts of minorities and ability to have healthy lives? Yeah, I think whenever you can isolate somebody from the supports that are around them, I think that's always going to be um, extremely problematic. And it sounds like, you know, in a lot of cases, you've got young men, the team is pretty much what they know. I mean, it's, that's, their, that's their family at school. And yet they're they're being being isolated. But one thing, and so you you talked about that I was kind of curious about is being in an HBCU, um, and how that differs from a mental health perspective. You think compared to being in some of the other settings that you've you have been in. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned I guess more acceptance, especially with with the religion piece and what they were doing there. Are there other positive or negative things that you've seen? Um, as an athlete's kind of thinking about being in that environment from a mental health standpoint? Yeah, I see. Uh, well, one of bigger universities, they have more resources to help someone, but being on an HBCU campus is kind of different because the people really care about the individual, you know what I mean? So it, like for me, it's, it's just a great feeling. Like you speak to a uh, a professor on campus and they'll say, hey, I got 
I got Johnny in my class. He's doing this. He's doing that. And, you know, they'll actually call you and let you know, hey, he, he whatever, you know, he missed an assignment. It's an important assignment. He need to make it up. And at, at other universities, other places, they don't, they may not even care if you miss it. You know, you're just a, a number. You're just a name. I think for me personally, the most, in, the most important day that a, a young man is for me as a young man is on the campus is graduation day. And I was at a university and on graduation day, only two coaches showed up and it was the two black coaches and, and the other coaches were on vacation. I'm like, how are you on vacation on the most important day of this young man's life? You know what I mean? So, you know, when, when I look at, I just think HBCUs are, are just great because they can't, can't say that everyone doesn't care, but just, you know, the circumstances that I've seen, I've saw people that really cared. And I can, I can see that because when you are at a, a bigger university, you are just another, another number, you know, because um, I went to Jarvis, I went to HBCU college mm -hmm. and um, I enjoyed being there. I knew all my professors personally. Mm -hmm. um, they always motivated me to, to do better when I wasn't doing the right things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they would pull me aside. And then when I did attend for my master's program, um, a bigger college, a university. I could see a little bit of, of, of a difference, but you know, I'm not trying to toot my a horn, but I have a real big personality. So I'm a, you gonna get to know me if you don't even wanna know me. <laughs> so it's, it's just a little different, but, but I, I truly can see the difference um, with this, this just being a family oriented um, college. So I, I can see that Anzar. Um, Another question, let, let me go into this little one minute spiel that I have to, because if I don't, Amy will kill me. That's our VP, <laughs> okay? Um, I'd like to take a moment and thank everyone in our listening audience for listening today. And we're also like to remind everyone that we're a nonprofit organization operated entirely off the generous support of our donors. If you would like to give to an organization, we appreciate you. We can send you can send your donation via Cash App, Money Sign the Help Show, or on our website www.thehelpshow.org. There's no donate. There's no donation too small. Every dollar is given will strengthen our efforts. If you'd like to donate fifteen hundred dollars more, you can become a VIP sponsor. Then we have some additional packages listed on our website, and you can visit that at www.thehelpshow.org for more details. So let's go into representation. We're almost done with this, um, this podcast. This has been an amazing conversation, Anzar. Um, I'm glad you're shedding light on truly what athletes go through. Um, because, you know, when you look at an elite athlete, you, you just feel like they have the world, like they have no worries. But being in the field that I am in and Dr. Rogers is being um, psychiatry, we know that's really not the truth, you mm -hmm. know? And we know that it starts, it's, it starts home-based, but I believe it starts way before home-based. So I wanna talk about representation um, and how representation matters. You know, how can you drive diversity into those, lo out, those long-standing athletic organizations and institutes? Anzar? I think um, that's, a, that's a, a, a great question and I look at um, the hiring of head coaches in football. Okay. 
and and I had a I don't want to say an argument, but I had a, a heated discussion with um, friends and a bunch of people on Clubhouse, actually. And, oh, I see you on Clubhouse. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and the conversation was about, they were talking about um, blackhead coaches and, and going to, you know, the Rooney Rule. And inside of the Rooney Rule, you have to, you have to um, interview at least two minorities before you hire a coach. And, and one of the young men on the, on the call, he was upset. He's like, man, what's the purpose of going to this interview when you, it's just a token interview. And I said, I understand where you're coming from and I'm, I'm completely on your side. But I said, I want you to look at it like this. I can't, I wish I could remember the coach. Um, but one of the, the young African-American head coaches, what he did was he went to that interview knowing that he wasn't probably going to get that job because they already had in mind who they wanted. But he went in there and he blew him away. He blew him away to the point that when the job came back open, they called him. And and so on this call, they were saying, you know, well, you have you have the establishment and they know who they want and they're hiring the good old boy network. And I said, I say, yeah, well, how do you break into the good old boy network? You you gotta you gotta get inside. You gotta get you gotta get inside those rooms to be in a, a space for someone to even recognize you and see you and be like, you know what? Because most of the time people hire people that they know, you know, or someone that they believe that they can trust. Absolutely. So when you go in for the, that interview, maybe it is a token interview, yeah. but you leave an impression on that person to where, you know, and then you get that person's contact and you shoot them a note every now and again, you know, hey, thank you. I know I didn't get that job, but I appreciate you. And, you know, let's continue to build a relationship and go on and so forth. And until you get to the point where they will trust you enough that when it comes back around, maybe the second or third time, you'll have an opportunity to get that job. So I think you gotta, you know, with, with, with all of the things that everyone who came before us went through uh-huh. you know, and how hard they fought. And, and, and I think if you can sit at a, at a counter, at a lunch counter and have food and drink, mm-hmm. I think we can go and have a, 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 a meeting, even though we know we're probably, we're probably not going to get that job. But in doing that, you help open the door for the next person because you, hey, I can do this. Or in the case of the guy you were talking about, you have to open the door for yourself. Open the door for yourself. Before Nyota cuts me off, um, I, I, one of the things I always like to try to find out, especially from folks like yourself that have been around, know so much, and I think have an expertise, I'm always trying to figure out what is the thing as a psychiatrist that I need to know about working with the guys that you work with? And you know what is, that right there is what I'm trying to figure out because it is, it is something different in people. You know what I mean? Like I, I tell this story all the time. I was working with Kareem Rush when he was with the Lakers and I had mentioned him in the opener. Uh-huh. And, 
and we were and and we had just we had just finished training and working out that day and I was sitting in the locker room with Kobe and Kobe said you want to know the difference between me and everybody else and I'm like yeah he said they think they're better than me I know I'm better than them and I just sat there like <laughs> you know what I mean and and when you get to that level the talent is close you know what I mean everybody's talent level is close you know what I mean you have you know the great freak, you have a couple outliers, but everybody's talent level is close. The difference is what's here. Right. It's the mental toughness that you have. It's 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 an it factor. And I was watching uh it was I was watching um this thing with Will Smith and and he was talking about his dad and and you know and his dad told him to do something. He's like he's like is two options. Either you could you you complete the mission, or I come looking for you shooting the place up because you didn't complete complete the mission. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like, it's something inside of these people, and 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 is nurtured from when they're young on never to quit. You gotta. This is what you have to do. And even when you get in a circumstance, you know, and you and you fail. And they take those they take those moments of failure and they turn it into success because they're like, okay, I'm going to learn everything I possibly can from this, and I'm going to be greater. And mm-hmm. it's 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 an it factor in people, and and I'm trying to find that out so I can I can only have those people with the it factor. So if you come up with a test, please <laughs> let me know, and I will administer the test on anybody I'm recruiting. <laughs> it factor test, I love it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. One of our listening audience um, wanted me to ask you and Dr. Rogers about a statistic that I put on um, Instagram. And we spoke about it according to the 2018 study from the Journal of American um, College Health, 78% of the minority students athletes reported a mental health need, um, but less than 11% of them used the mental health services. And what her name is Morgan Price. And what Morgan Price wanted to know was she was interested in hearing the ideals behind removing the barriers. What causes this? So what do you what what are your thoughts, Dr. Rogers? What are your thoughts, Anzar? What do you guys have? Because I, I told her, I said, Morgan, I'm gonna ask these two gentlemen. So Morgan, this is for you. <laughs> well, I think when I see it every day, you know what I mean? And in my working with young men, I see it. And, and I definitely saw it this past year with COVID, you know, and how, you know, it was terrible. I had one of my players, his uncle died of COVID. Another one of my players, his dad was sick and he had to leave and didn't finish the season because he had to go home to Brazil because of COVID. And, and one of my, um, Another one of my kids, his dad actually died. It wasn't COVID. I forgot what it was, but that was that was one of the things that y'all asked about. Can I tell? And I could. I saw him in practice, and I said something's not right. You know, I said, "Tell me what's going on." He said, "Well, my dad has been bed bedridden in Africa, and and he's having these problems." And I'm like, "Okay, I can see that there's something wrong." And it's like, "Why haven't you said anything?" you know, say something to somebody, you know, even if you just want to talk, if you want, if you want to get help, we can, we got services on the, on campus that we can go to. So you can have this dialogue with people because 
and everyone jokes about it, about the African, African-American community, how we look at, you know, seeing a therapist and seeing something like it, something's wrong with you when you're crazy. And it's like, no, like there's some, there's some issues that you have that are beyond coach. There's some issues that you have where you need to go talk to Dr. Rogers. And, and I, I didn't want to forget this because when I was thinking of the, the topic, it was one thing that was important to me. I was at Prairie View and my head coach's father yelled at us, the coaches after a game, we were playing Jackson State. And he said, you guys think that these young men problems are gonna go away because you have them. You're not special enough to make these kids, you're not certified to help these kids problems go away. You know, and it always stuck with me because it was like, you know, and it goes to the opening question that that Dr. Rogers asked me about, mm-hmm. you know, what do I do? And it's like, yeah, it was a time where, you know, I could tell somebody something and they would just do it. And and it was good, but they didn't have the issues that these young men have because like you you spoke about me going to Iran. When I went to Isfahan, I went to Isfahan after the 2002 drafts. So I think I went in 2003 or something like that, 2003, 2004. And in that draft, I had 12 people get drafted. Okay. I had one who didn't get drafted. Okay. And it, it was crazy to me because I didn't understand what was wrong. And it was so bad that, and one of my friends who's a a sports psychologist, he told me, he just texted me right now, as serendipitous as his word, but, and what he said I did was I took the binoculars and I turned them around. So instead of looking out and seeing all of the great things that were going on, I concentrated on the one thing that went wrong. Mm. And what I learned was this player had, it was a book that I read called Psycho-Cybernetics and, and Dr. Rogers, you probably read the book. And it, and it talked about this plastic surgeon and when he changed, you know, when they fixed a scar or something, it, it not only changed the personality, but even the abilities that that person perceived that they had because this, scar was gone, you know? And for our young men, the scars are not on their face. The scars are in their head. The scars are in their hearts. You know what I mean? So it's like the things that that have happened. So when he sees a coach, when this young, this particular young man, he played great all summer. I was like, oh yeah, he's gonna be great. He's, you know, everything's gonna happen for him. It's all good. But what happened was when he got back to his school and the coach, and the circumstances and the people. And instead of having this belief that we had and believed in these things that we had and believed in, it all went away. And it went back to, I can't do this. Mm. And it's because of the people. Mm. And, and that, that drove me crazy. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that, that, that leads me into answering the question you were, you were talking about, Nayada. Um, I think there are four reasons why people don't seek don't seek treatment, and and th- these are not my original ideas. Um, they actually come from a buddy of mine, Dr. Michael Lindsay, who's up at um, New York University. Um, one of the first things he talks about is the whole idea of stigma. 
people feel like I'm not crazy, therefore I'm not going to get mental health treatment. Um, but the second thing is I think one, one of the big ones, and it is what he calls the primacy of family support. And family can be defined in many different ways. Mm-hmm. If Ansar tells one of his guys, I think you need to go see Dr. Rogers. Chances are that guy's gonna come see me at least one time. Mm-hmm. If a family member that he trusts says you need to go see Dr. Rogers, he's probably gonna show up. But oftentimes we don't have the families that buy into maybe this guy needs to see somebody even when things are going off the, going off the rails. Mm-hmm. The third thing is the distrust of the service that I'm gonna get when I get there. So if I don't believe that the person on the other side has the ability to help me, then I'm certainly not gonna show up. And if I show up that first time and they don't give me something that I can hold on to, I'm not going back again. And that can actually be the phone call to the front desk and the secretary that answers the phone doesn't answer it the right way. And that person decides it's not worth it to me. And the third piece is misdiagnosing what's what's happening. So as we started off earlier, we talked about the number of guys that have trauma. But yet what we often see is, you know, Johnny's bad. Therefore, Johnny doesn't necessarily need help. Johnny probably needs to be kicked out of school, go to a different team, do something different. But we don't diagnose the fact that Johnny just came from a bad neighborhood jacked up family situation he's not feeling great about himself he may be depressed and anxious himself but yet we we can't quite see that about johnny because it doesn't fit into the narrative of this guy who was a great athlete in high school um and so we don't encourage johnny to go actually see see somebody so i think when you put those four things together we see why a young man may not go see a mental health professional yeah Absolutely. I, I believe that what we're doing with the show, Dr. Rogers, I think it's a stepping stone to help because what we're doing is, you know, allowing people and showing people that you're not alone. Everybody faces something. Something is wrong with everyone. No one is perfect. And that if you just talk about it and just, you know, listen to Dr. Rogers, listen, listen to the guests, listen to Anzar. We just even a little, little bit listen to me. <laughs> it lets you know that it's going to be okay. And you, we're a phone call away. And so I think that when people, when minority can get into a place of comfortability, someone that they can truly trust, I think those numbers can go up. But the first thing first, the question they have to ask themselves because they've been with so much disappointment, um, with so much inconsistency is, can we trust them? Can they help us? Do they know? Are they educated? Like those are things that I, even I saw when I was a QMPH, when I was in the college, I mean, in the, not the colleges, but the um, elementary and high schools. Question is, can we trust you? If I need you, will you be there? Will you disappoint me? Because they come from families of disappointment all the time. So, I, you know, that's where I can see why the numbers are so, are so low with actually reaching out to get the the help that they truly need because of all the failure, honestly, you know? Um, 
last question and we're going to be done with this um as our question so with the with being a coach and you, you advocate as well for a number of years how do you direct your athletes staff and friends towards mental, mental health resources like is you're a coach but you're slash you're really a a, a counselor <laughs> yes i think uh <laughs> that is a thousand percent true um i think now you know especially in this stage in my life and just just knowing that you know, the, the things that people need is greater than just me, you know what I mean? And you really need to, to get it figured out what's going on with yourself, you know what I mean? To help you become the best you that you can be, you know, like I run into a lot of athletes who get in their own way with the things that they do. And it's like, well, there's a reason that you get in your own way. So let's, let's get to the root cause of why this happens. It may have been something with your father, it may have been something with your mother, it may have been something with whoever, you know what I mean? And let's, let's get to it, let's talk about it so you can move past it and be the best you that you can be. You know, so all I advocate for is, is the best mental state that each person can be so you can play free and, and play with a confidence. Right. So, so the question I have, do you, do you guys, um, does the college have like a sports therapist or a sports psychologist or someone that, and then let's say that if an athlete quote unquote, um, is like, you know what, I don't want to use, um, Dr. Rogers. I'm just like, <laughs> Who, wait, where can I go? Dr. Rogers. Well, well, we definitely, uh, we definitely have multiple people on campus that they can go to, and um, and and I'm actually going to have, you know, different people that I know, and and hopefully after this call, I could get Dr. Rogers' information, and and you know, if one of the young men want to reach out to him, then we could we could figure that out as well. It's just whatever we need to do to make sure that you're the best you is what's important. I like that, Dr. Rogers. You're a source. You look, hey. Your source, Dr. Rogers, I love it, I love it. The Health Show wants to thank all of our partners, Auckland Research Associates, NJI Holding, Good Coworking, Gift in Mind Foundation, Duke's Hair Studios, and White Pearl Inc. We'd like to take a moment and thank everyone in our listening audience for listening today. We'd also like to remind everyone that we are a nonprofit organization operating entirely off the generous support of our donors. If you'd like to give to our organization, we appreciate you. You can send your donation via Cash App, Money Sign, The Help Show, or on our website at www.thehelpshow.org. There's no donation too small. Every dollar given will strengthen our efforts. If you'd like to donate $1,500 or more and become a VIP sponsor, then we have some additional packages listed on our website. And you can visit us at www.thehelpshow.org for more details.